Welcome to The Unapologetic Woman. I'm your host, Pyle Berry. With over a decade of a blended experience in clinical psychology and global leadership development, I've dedicated my career and life purpose to empower women to believe I deserve a seat at the table and it's about damn time. But how do you create synergy between who you are and how you lead? On this podcast, we address that inner critic holding you back, release narratives that no longer serve you, and explore how to use your leadership platform to make an impact around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Simply put, I cut out the bullshit. I'm here to share inspiration, practical tips, and have challenging conversations with other badass individuals who are shifting the narrative for all women. So let's stop apologizing for who we are and rise together as the unapologetic woman. This podcast is a Soul Fire production. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Unapologetic Woman. I am your host, Pyle Berry, and I want to take a moment to say thank you so much for being here and tuning in to listen to episode one. I'm so incredibly grateful. I have so much gratitude. This is such a surreal experience, and I am seriously so excited to be here. So As we go into episode one of The Unapologetic Woman, I felt it was only necessary to give you a little bit of background about why I chose The Unapologetic Woman and what that means to me, along with a little bit about who I am. Because I truly feel that the way that we connect with each other are through our stories, is through being vulnerable, it's being raw, it's sharing our experiences, and it helps make this thing that we're on, this journey that we're on called life, a little less lonely. It's where we feel community and we connect. And I don't think that my story is anything different than yours or anything special or unique. And I actually think that's what's so great about it is that there is relatability. And when we can have a place of relatability, then we can be honest and there isn't shame attached to it and we can be more authentic. So as I go into describing and defining the unapologetic woman, I wanted to share why defining it means something to me. When I work with my clients and I ask them to talk about their values and they say words such as respect and integrity and trust, I ask them to define it for themselves. Yes, there is Webster Dictionary and we can all look it up, the meaning. But the thing is that the way that we connect to these words and the meaning that it holds for us is different for each one of us. The way that one person may see what respect means, how they connect with it, their threshold for trust, their sensitivity around it, the boundaries that they set for themselves, it's going to be different than the ones that we create for ourselves. And the more clear that someone can be about how they see themselves, and what these values hold in their life, the more clear they can actually move through their life. They will be a little bit more in tune with why things irritate them instead of trying to tap into what it is that's the underlying thing that's being disrespected. 
And for everybody else, it helps us recognize that, ah, okay, so that's what trust means to pile. And this is how I now know to interact with her or to share information because these are her boundaries around it. And this just really allows for people to be more aligned, clear, communicating easily. It's a bit more seamless. So when I talk about the unapologetic woman, I just think that it's just so incredibly fierce and so bold. And I feel like the blood rushing through me and I can literally feel myself saying, the unapologetic woman. And it's just like, damn straight I am. (laughs) And I really hope that you feel the same way about yourselves. And the reason that I chose the unapologetic woman, or I feel so connected to it, is because there is so much pressure that is put on a woman daily. A woman is constantly being scrutinized for every decision that she makes. She may be very aligned to it and clearly sees herself and feels very in tune with who she is. But all that questioning of, well, are you sure you want to take that step? Is that really what you want to do? So you decided to go back to work even though your child's an infant. Oh, so you decided to be a stay-at-home mom. Do you feel that you're going to be held back in your career once you want to go back? Oh, you don't want to go back. There are so many questions around a woman's decision, whether it is how she looks aesthetically, her image, what she contributes to society, how she involved with her family. And when we think about our male counterparts who make decisions and move swiftly through them, we celebrate it with, wow, he's so confident. That's so admirable. He knows what he wants. So I wonder what it will take for us as women to celebrate women, to have that same clarity and not feeling the need to justify our answers, to give reason behind why we chose a certain path that may be different than the other women that are around us. So when I think about the unapologetic woman, it's actually very far from being perfect. And first of all, you'll learn very quickly and through my episodes how much I try to refrain from the word perfect and want to recondition it with we're doing what we can. Because when I think about perfectionism and when I think about being perfect or putting on an image of being perfect, what it is is actually creating this false myth, this false expectation that flaws are not allowed, that we're not allowed to have any vulnerabilities. And it actually creates a wall around us that when everything is portrayed from this quote unquote perfect place, then someone else who may be going through something might feel shame bringing it up with you. Because if life is perfect and everything is great and there's never been an issue ever, then how can they connect with you or feel that they are an equal? There's going to be an inferiority complex that may come about. And it doesn't allow for that same level of safety. So I truly try to stay away from the word perfect because 
it really does create this facade that we have to live up to that doesn't even exist. And I want to connect from a more human to human perspective. So to me, an unapologetic woman is a woman who can be vulnerable. It's someone who can say, you know what? I changed my mind and this is where I'm at today. It's a woman who can be agreeable, but she can also have an opinion and express herself without having to sacrifice herself for the comfort of other people. It's knowing that her expressing her opinion or her thoughts and feelings isn't trying to diminish somebody else's, but it's truly recognizing that we all have equal footing here. Being an unapologetic woman is a woman who truly embraces who she is. She recognizes her strengths, she knows her gifts, and she can say thank you without having to add a, but I did this here, or oh, thank you, but no, it's simply thank you. I appreciate that. And an unapologetic woman is also someone who can recognize when she's in the wrong. She can take accountability for her actions doesn't play the victim and recognizes that if she hurts somebody, it is not a personal attack or a blow to her ego on who she is. She can actually say, you know what? My bad. I apologize. That was wrong of me. And she can take that as an opportunity to grow. An unapologetic woman to me is someone who can show up honestly with herself. She's not trying to keep up with the Joneses. She's truly just being who she is. And she has a clear understanding of that. And she can express that to the world and create a safe place. An unapologetic woman is a woman who can go through life, rising her emotional intelligence. And as she continues to grow within that, and she looks at other women that are and may be on their journey, but a little bit behind, doesn't belittle them or lose her patience with it. She can use and tap into her empathy and recognize that, you know what, I've been there, I get it, it's hard. And this woman will get there too. It's someone who can look ahead of themselves at women who have surpassed them and look at them with admiration and not with some form of jealousy or feeling less than of herself because she's not where these other women have now crossed. So when I think about the unapologetic woman, I think about RBG. And how can you not, right? Well, I mean, there's so many incredible women in this world that I think of as inspiration. There's Malala, there's Michelle Obama, there's AOC. There are so many women that have passed on And one being RBG, and I feel like we can't have a podcast on the unapologetic woman in 2020 without honoring her. And the reason that she matters so much is because she became a lawyer when it was expected to be a stay-at-home mom, a teacher, an executive assistant. When it was expected that as soon as she got married, that she should have the man, her husband, take forth his career versus hers. And what I love about RBG is that she didn't necessarily go into the career path to be a women activist. She actually recognized her gifts and said, I'm a really great writer and I can have strong influence. And I know that I can be just as great of a lawyer as anybody else out there. 
And that conviction is what led her down her passion. She opened so many doors for herself. And as she opened doors for herself, she opened doors for all of us. Literally, we wouldn't be able to have a bank account without a male co-signer if it wasn't for RBG. We wouldn't be able to own a house without a male co-signer if it wasn't for RBG. She really did open the doors of financial freedom and economic equity for each one of us so that we can have that empowerment to stand on our feet and say, we're good, I can do this, I can take care of me. So when I think about RBG, I think about a woman who was confident in herself, who knew her worth, and she used her platform with good intention. And she used her platform to raise confidence and empower all of us so that we can do and live purposefully the way that we want to. So here's the thing. I know that we all cannot become the next RBG, but we all do have a way to contribute to our own communities. Our families, our nieces, our nephews, our children, our peers, our cousins, our corporate leaders, whoever it is, that's our little bubble. And when we show up with conviction, when we show up knowing that we have self-worth and self-value, when we know that we can listen to ourselves and we're not validating through others, we are showing them through our behavior what we are worth. And that role modeling will then impact the people that are around you and it'll have a butterfly effect of creating better relationships, of them also recognizing, wait a second, I also feel like I'm an unapologetic woman and I don't have to justify why I choose the certain path that I'm choosing or that if I change my mind, it's okay. So why do I care so much about being an unapologetic woman or helping other women rise to that occasion? I'm going to share a little bit about myself and how I actually helped to release these narratives around myself that, you know, really created one that embodied me so that I could ultimately really say, I feel like I'm an unapologetic woman and I know my worth. The thing is that I wasn't always there. I struggled a lot with being a misfit. That was a label that only until recently I finally released. I felt like I didn't completely know who I was and I really truly depended on external validation to feel good about myself. And the reason was that growing up as a South Asian, an Indian, but never grew up in India, I grew up across four continents and moved around like 18 different cities and at least over 30 times. And no, my parents were not in the military, but they were looking for a place to settle down and give their kids a better life than theirs, you know, the good old American dream. So yeah, my childhood before I turned nine was literally being and living in Dubai, in Iraq. Until first grade, I was in Egypt. My second grade was spent in New York, Florida, New Jersey, and that was my welcome to America. My third grade was split between Melbourne, Australia, and California. And 
as I went and hopped around these different cities, I tried to really find my identity. And these experiences led me through a journey of understanding these cultural differences, celebrating humanity, resilience. And simultaneously, I really experienced adversity and saw what it felt like to be bullied, to be bullied for having an accent that wasn't American, for not being American enough because I still didn't really fully understand American pop culture, for not being Indian enough and being the Americanized cousin, for being someone who, as a girl, I was told that I talked too much and I have too many opinions and it's not ladylike to be so assertive. And this bothered me as I didn't feel seen or heard and I didn't know where I belonged. I loved being part of my South Asian community, but I also wanted to fit in in America. And I remember being bullied for being brown in third grade was my first experience with racism. And I didn't even know what it was because I was so young. I just remember walking in to my class in third grade for the first time in Australia and the teacher introducing me and telling me to sit down. And when I did, the two girls that were sitting next to me moved their seats away. They didn't want to play with me because I was brown. They created teams in lunch hour of immigrants versus whites. And I just didn't understand what was happening. I had no idea where I belonged, where I would fit in. And I kept my thoughts to myself and it continued to just fester inside. I questioned myself and I didn't realize that the power of being assertive, intelligent and articulate woman would serve me when I'm older. But as we moved around so much, I had no idea where I belonged and who I was. And I just really owned the label of being a misfit. I got used to moving around, making new friends, leaving some behind and keeping some along the way. And I would observe how regardless of the country or the city, that kids played the same games everywhere. What changed was how they viewed me. So as I mentioned earlier, when they made fun of my accent or if there were local things that I didn't understand, so they'd make fun of me for them. And I got even more quiet and reclusive. And the narrative now was that I don't belong. I'm not deserving and keep quiet because nobody really wants to hear your thoughts or your opinions. And as I continued to believe this narrative about myself, I suppressed a lot inside of me. And ultimately, I was diagnosed with hypothyroid. It's a chronic illness associated with a gland that lives in your throat, and it manages to really control your entire hormone system. <laughs> and no coincidence that this was a chronic illness associated with your throat. And it's the power of communication and empowering your voice that I had completely suppressed and I felt so resentful towards. But there was something else that I also learned along the way. As we moved from Egypt to Queens, New York, to Tampa, Florida, to Melbourne, Australia, and then to California, I learned how we're all human. 
And we're all experiencing the same fundamental emotions that each one of us wants to belong to a community. Each place I lived values the same things, family, career, relationships, health, but how they value shifts from place to place. And each generation learns from the generation before and pivots to make the world a better place. And as I was trying to find myself, what I found was the meaning of relationships and unity, compassion and empathy as a shared responsibility of accountability to put things into context. And when we place our ego to the side and can actually say, hey, okay, ego, you sit over here. Without focusing on the I, we can see that we all want the same thing, yet we struggle a bit more and others achieve more. And as a community, we can truly support each other and take accountability for who we are. So I embraced a new narrative. And that led me to a path of creating synergy between who I am and how I lead myself. And I can tell you that this didn't happen overnight. This was through a lot of work. This was through coaching. This was through going to therapy. This was through truly taking a backseat and writing and journaling and addressing and looking at myself in the mirror, putting my ego to the side, putting my defense mechanisms away and being really vulnerable with myself and really asking myself to stop being a victim, to stop being a victim of enabling other people to create these narratives for me. I allowed that to happen. I took it on. I wanted to fit in so badly that I allowed other people to create narratives. And if there was something that just didn't feel right, I allowed it to debilitate me, that I had to win them over in order to be liked, in order to not feel like a misfit. And as I really stripped through all of this, through therapy, through journaling, through meditation, and I started to accept myself a bit more, it was only fitting that my career took me down psychology. I care so deeply about individuals who are brilliant and these incredible humans, but sidelined because their narratives were written based on others that don't serve them that well. So when I got into psychology and I got into clinical, I started working at nonprofits and I saw the same level of imposter syndrome of these underserving narratives appear in the women that I worked with that I did in my clients and that I did in myself. And that's when I had a light bulb moment that no matter what your socioeconomic status is, your background, your life circumstance, we share this common internal struggle to accept ourselves and we create these facades around us to make it seem like we're tougher than we really are so that nobody else can really expose us. And as I deepened my work in clinical and my passion to empower young individuals came around, it came first from this subconscious fulfillment that if I help empower other females, then it'll help invalidate my personal story. I had my next light bulb moment. I'm so invested in others to accept themselves. Why can't I accept myself? And that's when I even deepened my work more with myself. 
I began working to redesign my narrative to flip the script from the negative to positive, to stop looking at myself from a place of being a victim that, well, I have hypothyroid and that's why I get really tired and lethargic. I have had a upbringing where I was split between two cultures, so I really do not know where I belong and I am a misfit. Instead, I began empowering my voice and knowing that if I can help others feel so good about themselves, if I can help others flip the script from a negative self-perception to a positive one, then I can do that for myself. And when I started to do that, magic happened, truly magic happened. I began speaking and owning and honoring my voice and sharing my opinion with confidence. I became the person that felt confident with transitioning into a global leadership programs and working corporate from stepping outside of nonprofit work. I felt comfortable and confident working with executives, senior executives, and treating them not from a place of ego, but from a human-to-human place. I began receiving requests to speak at events. I began facilitating global leadership programs. And I remember as I transitioned into corporate from nonprofit work, and I started working in global leadership, I remember specifically working with a senior executive who we had given a personality assessment to in this group leadership program. And the facilitator was debriefing it. And as he was debriefing this personality assessment, he mentioned one specific type that was considered to have a low grade in terms of being a influential leader. And this one specific senior director, he had that type. So the next day, when I was making my calls and when I was checking in on all the participants, he, of course, had an earful for me. And what I did was, instead of looking at him from a place of, oh my gosh, he's a senior executive, what am I going to say to him? How can I talk to him? I allowed him to just speak. I paid attention to his frustrations. I paid attention to the emotion that was really underlying everything. I used my skills as an active listener. I connected with him as a person and I showed compassion and I showed empathy. And through that conversation, he was able to release a lot of what he felt was stuck. And six months later, we're having our graduation and from the celebrating this leadership program who are then they're allowed to bring their spouses or whoever they want to. And he brought his wife and he stopped me in the hallway and brought me to the side, introduced me to his wife and mentioned that, you know, I want to introduce Pyle to you, to his wife and said that the conversation I had with her about six months ago for that five, 10 minutes and where she truly helped navigate and helped me understand why I was so frustrated, it really opened the door for me to go to counseling. It really opened the door for me to accept the fact that I was letting my ego get in the way. And what that did was 
it allowed him and his wife to go to counseling when they were on the brinks of divorce and actually reconcile. And I remember in that moment when he said thank you to me for those five, 10 minutes, that's where, again, that knowing my worth and knowing the fact that I can connect to other individuals and see them for who they are as human beings and for having empathy as we talk, it was then knowing that as leaders, we don't need to have some grandiose ideas and have some magic, you know, big aha moments. It truly is having these small conversations that your day-to-day actions do matter. That five-minute conversation that I thought was just me rectifying an issue (laughs) ended up being something that opened the door for him and his wife to reconcile, that it helped him be a better leader with his team. To me, that was just five minutes of fixing an issue. For him, it changed the trajectory of his life. And I'm not saying this to take credit for anything. I'm just mentioning this in the sense that when we can take away and strip away our egos and we can connect to each other, not from a place of labels or titles, and we can see who we are and use our own emotions of recognizing like, I remember what it feels like to be frustrated. I remember what it feels like to not be heard, to not be understood. And when I can create that synergy for this person, it can create openness. So knowing that, that I could do that as my first job in corporate America with a senior leader who was 20 years older than me, I knew that I just tapped into my gift. And I can say that and I can own that with full confidence and without justifying it or without having any sense of excuses. And I began embracing that I am an assertive woman, that I am intelligent, and I can be articulate, who has sound opinions and thoughts, and I have a lot of compassion. And I can use my experience of traveling around the world. I can use my experience of growing up in two cultures. I can use my experience of being bullied to make sure that I can connect with others and tap into that emotion to help them feel heard and to help them have their voice and create a narrative that exists true to them. And the thing is that as adults, we all have a choice. We have a choice to release narratives that weren't ours to begin with and to define our own narratives. So when I talk about being the unapologetic woman, and when I talk about my clients who are such badass women that are doing such wonderful things, it's about honoring the fact that it takes work. It's not overnight success. It takes time and there's going to be fallbacks, but we accept that. We embrace them. We look at our situations, our storylines, and we see what out of this serves me and can help me empower somebody else. Knowing that we can have an impact on someone is why it's so important to be intentional with the actions that you take every single day. So as I close out episode one, I want you to think about what is it about yourself that you feel is your gift, is your genius, 
that you can truly embrace and say to yourself that, yep, this is what I am great at and I don't need to justify it. This is what I know is my gift and I am ready to share it with the world. I'd love to hear from all of you. And I want to thank you once again for hearing my story, for hearing me out, and for being part of my first episode in The Unapologetic Woman. And I promise you, we're going to be sharing so many great stories, so many awesome interviews that are going to be coming on. And I want to hear from you directly. So I'm excited about this season, and I'm really excited to share a lot of me with you and hear about you as well. So thank you, thank you, thank you for episode one of The Unapologetic Woman. Thanks for listening to The Unapologetic Woman. If you like what you heard today, then please subscribe so you'll get real-time updates when I post a new episode. And if you really believe that others should be hearing this, then leave a rating or review this episode so others can find it too. And if there's something you'd really love for me to cover or highlight, then head over to my Instagram account at Pileberry. DM me to let me know. I'm all ears. If you want free resources, practical tips, and inspirational stories that I share with my clients, visit Pileberry.com and subscribe to my newsletter. You'll get them all. Until then, take a moment to celebrate your journey, reflect, and be ready to embrace your next epiphany. Thank you.